Let's take our Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 4. I'm going to spend a few Sunday nights, at least tonight and next Sunday, uh, to give you some things uh, that I hope will be a help to us. Uh, there, There's no doubt that the the means to be able to have a victorious Christian life, to live what we would call a successful Christian life, a life that has the contentment and the peace that God gives the, the life that is able to have victory in moments of temptation, uh, a, a Christian life that is well-grounded and well-established and not shaken or blown by every wind of doctrine that comes around, is a life that I believe has to be anchored and rooted and grounded in the Word of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this book is our sole authority of our faith and our practice and our life. Uh, when we live our lives, it ought not be by what we are allowed to do, because we're allowed to do a lot of things. And we mentioned this last week, that uh, government and the laws of government and society allow us to do a lot of things that are contrary to God's Word. And so we ought not ever live our life by what we're allowed to do, but we ought to base our life and what we allow ourselves to do by on the principles and the truths of God's Word. We've spent some time studying that, and uh, somebody said years ago that, uh, if I can get the statement quite right, I probably will paraphrase it here for him. but uh, if there's a starving village and this man's a fisherman, he can come in and fish for a day and feed the village for a day, or he could teach him how to fish and feed them for a lifetime. And uh, so there are times that we come to church and we come to get some truth and principles from God's Word. And it feeds us for that service, and it feeds us for that week. And yet there are times that we also need to be taught how do we find these principles and how do we nourish ourselves through the study of God's Word. And so we're going to take a couple of weeks and deal with the topic of living by Bible principle. Living uh, by Bible principle. And we want to make sure that uh, not only are we able to feast on God's Word, when we're taught uh, what it says, but that we can sit down at home and open the Word of God up for ourselves and begin to nourish, not just read, but nourish ourselves on God's Word. It is a feast for us, isn't it? It's the lifeblood of the Christian life. The Bible says that it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Somebody said years ago that sin will keep us from this book or this book will keep us from sin. And Psalm uh, 119, verses 9 through 11 tells us that uh, the way that a young man cleanses his way is by taking heed according to thy word. And he goes on to say, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. And we need to feast upon God's word. Several years ago, a fellow came to me and sat in my office and uh, shared with me a, a besetting sin, a problem that he had had in his life for quite some time that had just continued to get victory over him, and he kept succumbing to it. And he was broken, he was tearful, and he said, I've tried everything. He said, I've gone to several pastors in my ministry, in my time, and my life, and he said, I just can't seem to get victory over this. And he said, Brother Greg, what do I do? And I, I didn't know the answer. Aren't you glad God's Word has the answer? Because I'll tell you, I sat there that day, and I was, I was stumped. I thought, brother, I don't know if other pastors, and he named off the pastors that had helped him and tried to help him. And I thought, man, if they can't help him, who am I to try to help him, you know? 
And I said, brother, let me pray about it. Let me pray about it. Give me some time. And I said, let me give some thought to it. And a couple of days later, uh, God had put some things on my heart to share with him. And um, I asked him for a meeting. I called him in. I said, brother, I said, here's what I think. I said, all I know to tell you is what the Bible says. The Bible teaches us that if a young man needs to keep his heart pure and clean, wherewithal shall the young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. And I said, if it'll work for a young man, I just have faith to believe it'll work for an old one too. And I said, let's, let's try what God's word says. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> that seems to be kind of the last thing we do, isn't it? We try everything else and then we come back to, well, but what does God's word say? And... Uh, I uh, I shared with him just some thoughts about the Psalm 119. and So I said, here's what I think you ought to try to do. And I said, if you'll do it, I'll do it along with you because it's, it's hard. It's hard. I said, I'll do it along with you and try to encourage you in it. And I said, let's, let's memorize one scripture verse a day. Let's just saturate our heart with God's word. I said, I want us to spend at least two hours a day listening to good, solid Bible preaching from God's word. And I said, just every moment of every day, have these things on our minds and on our hearts and saturate ourselves in God's Word. And boy, I'll tell you what, he, he got some victory. And he's serving God in ministry still to this day and, and has gotten victory. I'm not saying he doesn't battle it. But every time he does, he knows where to go now. And I'm going to tell you what, I went through it with him. And I, I experienced some of the greatest joy and fulfillment that I had ever experienced in my Christian life. And you know, the more that we feast on God's Word, the more He establishes our hearts, and the more joy He gives us, and the more He reveals Himself to us. And I'll tell you, it's an exciting thing. I wish I would have lived there all the time after that, but life happens and you start losing the time to do as much of that as you do. But I think it's great for us as Christians, even in the day that we live and the busyness of our days, to have some times where we come apart and we say, okay, I'm going to have a, a week, or I'm going to spend two weeks, and I'm just going to saturate my life with God's Word during those two weeks. And I mean, just let God do what He's going to do. And I would challenge you to give it a try. It's, it's refreshing, it's exciting, and brings victory, brings encouragement to us. And so we're going to teach some things, hopefully, that uh, will be a help to you. And if I would encourage you, uh, if you have paper, I'm going to give you a lot of notes and some practical things from God's Word. And I would encourage you to write them down, because if your brain is like mine, uh, it leaks. <laughs> uh, I tell folks it's like a sponge. It'll hold a whole lot until you go to use it. Then it all just kind of spills out, and you don't have it anymore. But I would encourage you over the next couple of weeks, if you would, to... Maybe write some of these things down. And if you can't get them all in the service, maybe I talk too fast or go too fast. I'm sure Brother David will burn a CD for you and let you listen to them again and get them. And uh, not that what I have to say is a lot, but God's Word is very, very informative, isn't it? It teaches us. And uh, we can certainly rely on the truth of it. And um, then hopefully here in a few weeks we'll begin doing some worker training on Wednesday nights. 
and uh, in our services. And I'd like every member of our church to be a part of this as we start laying out a philosophy of ministry from a biblical perspective and why we do what we do and how we go about doing it. And uh, that God would be glorified, that we would be doing things the right way, the proper way uh, when it comes to serving him. And uh, so I want to encourage you and, and keep a notebook for these things. Uh, because, again, Lord willing, we'll be able to give a lot of practical information. Luke chapter 4, and we'll be brief tonight. I know we've got a lot of things to cover this evening, and so we'll be brief tonight, and that's why we'll take a couple, at least two weeks and maybe three Sunday nights to go through this. But Luke chapter number 4, if you'll follow with me, the Lord Jesus Christ is just getting ready to start His earthly ministry. He knows who He is. And the devil knows who he is, and really that's about it. Mary and Joseph, Mary knows who he is at this point, we know that. And, uh, but very few others, John the Baptist. And, uh, the devil takes him out into the desert and tries to tempt him. We're all familiar with that, and he'd gone out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And look what it says here in verse number 1 of chapter 4. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan, just after he was baptized from John there. He returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. I want to just stop there for a minute. This is not part of the message, but I want you to notice something about this verse. This verse has been so encouraging to me in my life. There are times that we find ourselves in the wilderness and we begin to question, Lord, why? But do you know there are times that that's where the Holy Spirit puts us? He, God, God's own Son was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness of all places. And that ought to give us hope. That ought to give us encouragement that there are times He'll bring us to the wilderness for no other reason than to accomplish His purpose in us and to be glorified. So, the Lord Jesus Christ here is led into the wilderness. We get to verse number 2. And the Bible says, being forty days tempted of the devil... And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Now, I don't know what the tempting of the devil was for those 40 days. We have a record in Scripture of three of the specific things that the devil tempts him on. But for 40 days he was tempted of the devil. And we find in verse number 3, And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is what? Written. If you have a pen and you underline, you ought to underline in that in your, in your Bibles. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil taking him up into a high mountain showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee in the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine, and Jesus Answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is what? Written. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle in the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. And what the devil does this last time is say, well, how about this? If you're going to answer me with Scripture, I'll give you Scripture. And he tempts him with Scripture, doesn't he? And look what the Bible says. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. 
Father, we pray that you'll bless the time that we spend the next two Sunday nights at least, uh, Lord willing, and perhaps a third Sunday night if we need it, to take a few moments to address this vital truth in our lives. And Father, we ask that you would give guidance and direction and help us to see from your word clearly not just the truths and the principles that we can live our lives by, but, Father, that we will yield ourselves to obeying those principles and truths and that we will learn how to seek them out as a miner of a diamond mine would seek the precious stones of a diamond, that we would get into your word and begin to look and to seek for these precious truths that will live, allow us to live our lives according to your principles and the word that you've given to us. And Father, we want nothing more than to try to bring honor and glory to your name. We don't want to be an embarrassment to you. We don't want to bring shame to the cause of Christ. But Father, we would like it to be said of our lives that men could see the good works that we have and the life that we live and they can glorify our Father which is in heaven. That men would see us and say, boy, what a great God that person must have. And Father, I pray that everything about us would be pointing men to you. Whether it be our lifestyle, whether it be the words that we say, the actions that we do, or the attitudes that we have. Lord, whatever it is, that every aspect of our life would be intently focused to pointing men to you. And so, Father, help us with this. I pray that you would help our hearts to be open and tender because, Lord, there are some things in here that I don't even like many times to deal with because they so prick my heart. But yet, Lord, they're needful. And I pray that you would help us to be open to the truth of your word, that it will be a help to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We find that Jesus is tempted three different times here by the devil. And all three times he comes to the devil not with his own logic or reasoning. He doesn't try all other methods first and then finally resort to God's word. But he begins his defense of the devil by saying, it is written. And I think one of the greatest examples that you and I could ever have in Scripture is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, when Paul was preaching in Philipp, to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, he talks about forgetting the things which are behind and pressing toward the things which are before. He said, I press toward the mark. And we mentioned the other night that the mark that he was pressing for was the exampleship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was trying to do everything he could in his life to be able to live as much like Christ as he possibly could. And he knew he wasn't ever going to reach it. In fact, he said, not as though I'd already attained, nor as yet attained, but he knew that the, the purpose and the goal of his life was to press to be as much like Christ. Because out of all the examples of Scripture that we can look up to, and I'm thankful God gives us a lot of examples in Scripture, but out of all the examples of Scripture that we can look up to, the greatest is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter wrote it and said that he was given to us as an example that we should walk in his steps. And so Jesus uses biblical principle. And He doesn't allow His life to be controlled by the things that He's allowed to do. But He controls His life and He brings His own thoughts and His own body. Even though He was fully God, He was yet fully man. And the Bible says, was tempted in every point like as we are, yet without sin. How did He accomplish this? 
I know some would say, well, he had, he was God, so he couldn't sin. But the truth is, he took upon him the form of a servant and became in the likeness of a man, didn't he? And he had the same temptations that you and I have. And yet he lived his life by biblical principle. By biblical principle. I want to make four statements to start the study off with that uh, if you can write them down, I'm going to go quickly through them. But if you miss them, uh, get, get the CD. It doesn't cost you anything. Get the CD and listen to it again. But I'm going to make four statements at the onset that we need to understand as foundational to this study. Number one, every Christian is involved in spiritual warfare every day. Every Christian is involved in spiritual warfare every day. I don't care how young you are, and I don't care how old you are. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, Satan is going to come after you every single day of your life. Now, I don't like it, but it is the truth. I wish he'd just leave us alone. And there will come a day, amen, where Jesus is going to bind him and we don't have to worry about him anymore. But until that happens, you and I have to realize Every single day we are involved in this great struggle. And the devil does no, likes nothing more than to stumble or to get to stumble God's people. It ruins God's testimony. It ruins the testimony of the Christian. And it makes us powerless in his service. So we seek for holiness and piety in our lives, not out of pride or arrogance or thinking that we're better than anybody because we of all people know exactly who we are. We're sinners. We've come to that realization. We already know that. We're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I dare we ever think that we are arrogant about who we are. But there ought to be a divine holiness about God's people. When people look at our lives, there ought to be something different about us. We ought not to look like the world. We ought not to smell like the world. We ought not to sound like the world. Amen. There ought to be something different. And so we find the first thing is that every Christian is involved in a spiritual warfare every single day. Jesus was no exception. Jesus was no exception. The devil knew who he was, didn't he? The devil knew he was the Son of God. And there was nothing that the devil would have loved any more than to got. Jesus Christ in His physical form to commit sin. Because all of God's plan would have been shattered in an instant. We're involved in a great spiritual warfare every single day. Number two, every day we either experience triumph or defeat in our individual battles. Every day we'll either experience triumph or defeat in our individual battles. You're going to have one or the other. If we're involved in warfare every single day, we're either going to be gaining the victory that day, or we're going to be defeated that day, aren't we? I think if we went around the room, we'd understand, and I think people could attest that there are some days I feel like, boy, I could charge hell with a squirt gun. And God's given great victory and great liberty in my life. And then there are other days we get to the end of the day and we say, boy, I sure let him down today, didn't I? And we all face it, don't we? Doesn't matter if we're a pastor, a missionary, a deacon, a member of the church. Doesn't matter. We all face them. And we're either going to get victory in the day or we're going to get defeat in the day. Number three, God desires for us to have victory every day. That's what God's desire is. God's not sitting up in heaven gleefully looking at the struggle that we're in. 
waiting for us to slip up. There are people in this world today that think God is some just God sitting on his high horse and gleefully looking over the banner of heaven and saying, oh, he messed up. All right, let's let's zap him, you know. And there are people that think that about God. That's not what God desires, is it? God wants every single day for us to have victory in the Christian life. There's nothing that pleases him more than for a Christian who's attacked by Satan to withstand the wiles of the devil that day. To be able to flee from that, that uh, temptation that day and to live to fight another battle the next day. God loves nothing better than for the boldness of, of a Christian to stand up in the face of temptation and say, you know what, I'm going to do what's right. It may not be popular and it may cost me something, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to do what's right. Not because we're great, but because we're living by the principles that God gave us. And He enabled us to do these things. And He's given us an example to do these things. And He'll strengthen us to do these things. Number four. We know that God desires for us to be victorious in our lives. Number four. We can only be victorious as we know and live by Bible principles. We can only be victorious as we know and live by Bible principles. I put both of those in there. Because I have met people, and the truth of the matter is, there's been times even in my life that I have found that I knew a Bible principle, but I wasn't living it. I think most of us could attest to the fact that we found some place in our life where that was true. We've been raised in church. We knew the principle. We just didn't live by it. For whatever reason, maybe we didn't like that principle. Maybe that was one of the ones we said, Lord, I'll live by all of them except that one. And uh, we all have those, don't we? I said uh, several times, and some of you have heard me say it, that the biggest sins there are are the sins somebody else has. Because mine aren't that big, right? (laughs) That's the way we feel anyway. If we thought ours were big, we'd get rid of them, wouldn't we? We'd be on our knees and on our faces before God saying, Oh God, give me victory in this area. We find a way to justify our sins. And the only way we're going to get victory in the Christian life, and, and I hope that's the desire of your heart. I, I, it ought to be the desire of every Christian's heart to live a victorious Christian life. The only way we're ever going to do that is by living our lives by biblical principle. So let's take a few minutes and let's figure out, if we're to live our life by Bible principle, then we need to know what that principle is. How do we find principles in Scripture? What is it that's specific about Something written in this word that tells us, hey, there's a biblical principle. Let's look at a couple of things. First of all, a principle, I'm going to give you a quick definition that holds true throughout Scripture. A principle is an unchanging rule. I like the fact that it's unchanging, aren't you? The Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. I'm thankful we have something we can anchor to. We don't have to worry about it changing I'm glad that my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't have to worry about where He stands on an issue. I mean, our politicians may switch like that. <laughs> but God never changes. What's right is always right, and what's wrong is always wrong. And we can go to the bank with that. We can anchor our souls to that. And I'm thankful for that, because here's what happens. We, as God's people, say, you know what, we, we understand these things. And that we are to live by Bible principle and there ought to be something different between us and the world. And so we begin what the Bible refers to as being separated, coming out from among them. And 
being separate and touching not the unclean thing. And over and over in Scripture, the Bible deals with the importance of being in the world, but not of the world. In other words, we ought not to look like the world, smell like the world, talk like the world, act like the world. But we still live in the world. We ought to be salt and light, and we ought to be a city set on a hill, and those types of things. And so we 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 put things into our hearts and our lives, things that we live by that uh, separate us away from the world. And so we, uh, just for sake of illustration tonight, uh, we put a distance between us. And um, I'm probably going to, Brother Keith, you, would you mind help me for a minute? Let me just help you with something here. I'm going to let, uh, I'm, I'm going to let Brother Keith be the godly man tonight, okay? Uh, Brother Keith, just stand right here for a second. And I'll be in the world, okay? We're not typecasting here, so we're excusing for sake of illustration. And so, Brother Keith is trying to live in a way that separates him from where the world is. And here's, here's the problem with it. Uh, Brother Keith actually needs to go a little further that way. Here. Okay, so here's the problem with it. That's right there. Brother Keith looks at this world and he says, Okay, hey, I am that far away from what the world is. And what we as God's people need to know and understand is that unlike God, the world does change, doesn't it? In fact, the Bible puts it this way. It says it will wax worse and worse, doesn't it? Meaning that the world's depravity is going to become worse and worse and worse and worse. And the world is going to continue this downward, deviant lifestyle and begin to progress and digress more and more evil. In fact, somebody said it this way that the second generation, the children that you and I have, will center their morals at the extreme of ours. What is borderline deviant for you and I becomes the central point of their morals. And then they have a a broad spectrum. This is the core of their morals. And they have an outside fringe area that's deviant to them. And their children will center their morals right around the extreme of the parent. We find that every generation takes a step down this this spiral. Uh, In a book, uh, Rushing Toward Gomorrah, I believe, was the title of the book. They called it uh, uh, Dumbing Down Deviancy when it comes to the world. And the fact that they progress down this deviant trail. And so here's what happens. You and I as God's people, we look at the world and we say, I'm separated. The world is over there and I'm over here. And as long as I keep that distance from the world, I'm okay. And so what ends up happening is the world begins to digress and the Christians say, I'm going to stay the same distance. There you go. Stay the same distance from here, okay? And then they take another step and the same distance from the world. And another step and they stay the same distance. Keep coming. Keep coming. And the world keeps deviating. And the Christians keep following. Now they're still separated from the world, aren't they? Are they still separated from the world? Yeah. They're still separated from the world. They're still same distance, aren't they, from the world? And the world keeps going, and the Christian keeps coming. Now look where he's standing. Who used to be there? Who used to be there? The world. Thank you, Brother Keith. Go ahead I want us to understand something tonight. That unlike God, the world is going to move. And we need to be vitally aware that we do not center the character of our lives around our distance from the world. For far too long, we have defined ourselves by what we are not. 
Well, I don't drink, smoke, chew, or run with those that do. I don't follow the world's standard, and I'm not this, and the world is. we got to quit saying, this is what we're not. we got to say, this is what I am. We take God's Word, and we say, these are the principles, and this is where I stand. And if the world gets further away, so be it, because this is where I stay. We anchor to this. And we find ourselves in a generation today that I think you and I would both be in agreement that even in our churches, there's worldliness that didn't used to be there. Even in our churches, the house of God. I've seen videos and pictures of churches that look worse than the rock concerts that I was not allowed to go to as a child. They look at the world and they say, oh, we're not them. We gotta quit saying we're not something. We gotta start saying we are this. We are Christians that stand on the truth of the Word of God. Let me make this statement. It will always cost us something. It will always cost us something. So a Bible principle is an unchanging rule. Let's finish the definition now. All that to just get that unchanging part of it there. It's an unchanging rule. We don't ever worry about it moving. Based on the character of God. Boy, what a statement. A biblical principle is an unchanging rule based on the character of God by which we govern our lives. It's an unchanging rule based on the character of God by which we govern our lives. Now, that's great. We know what a principle is. We know the importance of living by Bible principle in our lives. Now, we have to ask us two questions. Number one, what principles do we live by? And why should we live by them? Well, there are several types of principles in Scripture. We have principles that are given to us explicitly. And these are principles that are Verbatim, in Scripture, there's no room for interpretation. There's no discussion on them. They are black and white, right, wrong, no gray area. For instance, and I'll just give you one, Be ye holy, for I am holy. It's a Bible principle. We don't have to scratch our head and say, I wonder what God meant by that. He meant we're to be. Wow, we got that. Pretty simple, isn't it? Very explicit in Scripture. There are also sometimes in Scripture that we will find implied principles. Implied principle can be just as authoritative, can't it? Uh, give you an illustration. Implied principles would be things like parables that Christ told. Uh, he speaks of sowers going out in the field and sowing. And we learn valuable principles from a story. They're implied truths, but they're unchangeable. They're based on the character of God, and we use them to govern our life by. And so an implied principle is is fine, too. We better make sure it's in agreement, though, with all the rest of Scripture. And I just want to put out a word of warning about this, that if we ever think that this a particular thing is a principle, and it disagrees with some other part of Scripture, you can mark it down, it's not right. Okay? The Bible will never contradict itself. God never goes against His own character. 
I've heard people talk about some principles they live by, and it goes directly against the character of God. I'll, I'll hit just a, a, quick, a quick topic about it, social drinking. I'm just going to throw this one out there. Some people think, well, a little bit of fermented wine, it's no big deal. But when, Bible, when the Bible says in other places that if a friend give his friend a drink, let him be accursed, why in the world would God then tell us to go out and drink some? It goes against the character of God. When God says that we're not to even look upon it, the fruit of the vine, if it moveth itself aright in the glass, He's very clear about it. Why then would He ever say something other than that? I understand there's big arguments. People are on both sides of the issue. And I'm sure there are sincere and well-meaning people. But I understand this from Scripture, that God's principles will never, will never directly oppose or contradict another area of Scripture. And if it does, then we've made an error in judgment of what it says. So we've got to be careful about implied principles, but they are there. And they can be authoritative. And then we have inferred principles. Um, A good illustration of that I've used over the years. uh, God tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son Isaac. By the way, people that get in the news today and say they murdered their kids because God told them to, don't you believe a word of it. Because even when God told him to sacrifice Isaac, he didn't do it, did he? God had his plan in place. And we understand from the story of Isaac that God didn't want Isaac, did he? You understand that? Who did God want? He wanted Abraham. He wanted Abraham. And here's an implied, uh, an inferred principle that we can get from Scripture. And, And this is just something. When it comes to obedience... To God. Now follow with me, because I believe the priority of the Christian life is God must be first, our family second, and ourselves last. When it comes to obedience to God, even family is secondary. Some people may look at me cross-eyed about that, but but bear with me. In Luke chapter number 9, there are three men that come to him. They say, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And one of them says, but let me first go and bury my father, which is at home. And does God commend him or does God rebuke him? God rebukes him, doesn't he? Is there anything wrong with him caring for his father? No. The Bible says if you don't care for your family, you're worse than an infidel. But when it comes to our obedience to God, that must be first. We obey God first so that we can lead our family aright. If we ever let family dictate, we are out of communion with God and we can't rule our family aright, can we? We can't point them to God. So it's very, very important that we understand these principles. And I want you to notice one other statement that I'm going to give you. And then we're going to start talking about how to establish Bible principles next week. The principles of God's Word are never grievous. They're never grievous. Look with me in 1 John chapter 5. For sake of time, I've not given you a lot of the Scripture tonight. I'd be more than happy to give you some more if you need it. In fact, we'll review it next week. I'll throw out the, the passages of Scripture for you on some of this as well. First John chapter 5, I think it's, it, it will do us well to look at this. And I have written down the wrong uh, reference here. I apologize. 
Okay, there we go. No, I was one verse off. I'm sorry. Let's look at John, First uh, John chapter five and verse number one. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth Him that begat loveth Him also that is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Okay. Now, there's another way we could word that and still be accurate. Keeping his commandments could also be stated as living by his principles. It's not going to take anything from it, put anything to it. it they're synonymous. They're one and the same. For keeping the commandments of God, we're living by the principles that he's dictated to us. In verse number three, he says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. This is how we show him that we love him. This is how we show him that we love the brethren, by keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. I, I dealt with teenagers for a long, long time. And uh, I think teenagers a lot of times get the mind, wrong mindset of who, who God is. And they, they think of him as a killjoy and somebody up there that's just trying to do everything he can to keep them from having fun. And uh, that all the rules and standards and principles that they have to live by according to Scripture... Those are just really squelching their style, their personalities, uh, stepping on you know, their toes, and, and they just can't. And can I say this? If teenagers are thinking that, uh, it's easy for adults to think it too, don't they? There are times that we feel that way sometimes. That Boy, how, how in the world could God ever ask us to live that way? That's, that's just unreasonable. Unless we forget those things, we've got to look at the motive of obedience. We find that First John tells us, chapter number 5, that this is how we know that we love Him. If we keep His commandments. Keeping His commandments, living by Bible principles, is not something we do out of obligation. Every time we start approaching it from that aspect, we're going to be frustrated with it. We're not going to enjoy it. It's going to be restrictive to us. Our attitudes are not going to be right. We don't do it because we're under obligation to do it. We do it because we love Him. Our children obey us many times out of obedience. Uh, how many of you have had children before? Raise your hand. There ever a time, however rare it may have been, <laughs> that your children surprised you with just absolute obedience and a smile on their face? Maybe at least once, at least. Once. There you go. A few times. And man, what a sweet time, wasn't it? It was sweet for your kid, and it was sweet for you. Because they're obeying, not because they're made to, because they're your child and you're the parent, but because they did it out of love. I believe that's what Ephesians chapter 6 deals with when it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, that thy days may be long on the earth. We find that there's a difference between obedience and honor there. And the way that we know that we love God is in keeping of His commandments. And Some people look at that and say, well... I don't want other people to think that I don't love God, so I better keep His commandments. And we do it trying to impress others. And we do it because we feel like we're obligated by an authoritative God in heaven that just wants to squelch all our fun. Can I tell you this? The sweetest, most satisfying, most content place you and I could ever be in our lives 
is inside the boundaries of what God has established in the very center of His will. With a heart that loves Him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. We don't serve out of obligation. We don't obey out of obligation. We do these things because we love Him. And it makes it so much easier to live the victorious Christian life because we obey these Bible principles out of love. It's very important that we live by Bible principles. Number one, for the purpose of bringing glory to God. But secondly, because we've got a younger generation that is looking to us. And our example... And our testimony is going to be the center of where they put their morals. The exampleship that they follow. If mom and dad didn't do it, if grandma and grandpa didn't do it, aunt and uncle didn't do it, if pastor didn't do it, if the members of the church didn't do it, then why do I have to do it? And I know it ought not be that way, but that's the truth of the matter. That's the way young people look at things. We've got a generation, not a lot of them tonight in the room, but we have a generation coming up under us that needs to see a godly example of men and women that live by biblical principle once again. I've got a lot more notes than we can get through next Sunday night. We'll probably be at least two more weeks on it. But I want to encourage you to start praying and begin now. Next week we're going to start delving into the practical side of how we find these Bible principles and extracting them from God's Word and then we're going to deal with the topic of integrating them into our lives. There's, there's some things that over the years that have been a help to me in putting them into practice. I don't always succeed at it. I'm not sitting here saying, hey, I'm perfect at it. But there's some things. I, I struggled for years. I kept a journal in, uh, of Bible principles for years. And I'd go back and read some of those. And I'd think, man, I never put that into my life. It never got integrated. And so we're going to deal with that topic uh, as well, how we how we start applying these things to our lives. And there's a very practical way to do it that's been a help to me, and I'll share that with you. Hopefully it will be a help to you and something that you can use as well. Let's stand together, and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the time together around your word, and I pray and hope that it's been an encouragement and something that has uh, instructed us. Lord, you've said that all Scripture is given by your inspiration, and is profitable to us for instruction. Lord, sometimes it corrects us and reproves us. But Lord, tonight we've asked for it to be our teacher. And I hope and pray, Lord, that you would help us to gain these truths and to not let them quickly leave our minds and our hearts, but that we would meditate on them throughout this week, maybe even sometime this week, pull out our notes and read back over them and think about your example in Luke chapter 4. And how you were able to live by Bible principle during 40 days of constant temptation from the devil. And how you gained the victory through it. And Lord, that it would be an encouragement to us to gain victory in our lives. Dismiss us now with your blessings, we pray. Bring us back again this week. Help us to be doing all that we can this week to reach people with the gospel, to share it with them. Invite folks to church. And Lord, that we would be busy doing your work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.